Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Muslim Centric Podcast where we hope to educate, inspire and entertain on issues relevant to Muslim life and I'm your host Aman. This is the second episode out of four where we explore the issues around raising the next generation of men and look at the unique challenges of raising young Muslim boys and men in our society. For example, we look at the expectations placed upon them, the differences in how boys and girls are raised, chivalry and manhood. In the last episode, we discussed the early informative years. In this episode, we look at the concept of masculinity, chivalry in Islam and what makes a man. And it includes a really interesting discussion on toxic masculinity, a topic which has been discussed over the last few years, particularly in the context of the Me Too movement. Our guests include a Scottish-born scholar, Sheikh Amr Jamil, and brother Yasser from Inayat Health and Wellbeing in Burnley. And I'll post links of both these organisations that they're affiliated to in the episode notes. Thanks again to Radio Ramadan Glasgow where we first broadcast this series and you can check out their website rr365.co.uk. Also please do have a look at our updated website muslimcentricpodcast.com which has some inspirational resources and, and the Desert Island Gems series. Remember to subscribe and like and rate us on whichever podcast provider you get your podcast from as it helps other people to find the podcast and do follow us on social media. I do hope you enjoy the podcast and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Assalamu alaikum, you're tuned in to Radio Ramadan and you're listening to Raising the Next Generation of Boys and Men. We see differences in the development, milestones, habits, behaviours, physical, mental and emotional health and success rates between boys and girls. Girls develop language skills earlier, boys have more instances of diagnosed ADHD. Girls get better exam results, boys are less likely to have the same support networks that girls have. And men are less likely to seek mental health services compared with women. So this series looks at the unique challenges associated with raising the next generation of Muslim boys and men. And in our second episode, we're going to be looking at the concept of masculinity, chivalry in Islam, and what makes a man. So I'm hosting, I'm your host, Abdul Wadud Sharif, and uh, co-hosting with me is Aman Durrani. Aman, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, all good. Abdul Wadud, Jazakallah khair. And uh, as usual in the studio, we have Sheikh Amr Jamil. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. And uh, Abdul Wadud, we have a guest joining us for this episode as well on the line. Yes, yeah, so we have uh, Brother Yasser from Al Inayat, a health and wellbeing consultancy based in Burnley, who should be on the line. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Yasser. Wa alaikum salam, brother. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, mashallah, very good. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So, um, Brother Man, do you want to kick off uh, this this discussion about chivalry and masculinity? There's a lot of discussion at the moment, certainly over the last few years, about this idea of masculinity. And there's lots of different terms which maybe we'll be touching upon, but there's idea of things called toxic masculinity. I think we'll also perhaps touch upon things like the Me Too movement and stuff, because I think these are really important in terms of concepts that we're talking about. So I wonder if you could just maybe come to yourself, Brother Yasser, can you tell us a bit about the nature of work that you do and the project you're involved in and any resonance with the topic that we're discussing today? Assalamu alaikum. I, I think my organisation uh, is called Inaya Health and Wellbeing, as I mentioned before. Uh, and my main role is is a, a counsellor uh, and, and family mediator. And uh, I have been doing this for over like 20 years, working with families and individuals. I've worked quite a lot with young young men uh, and young girls within the educational sector uh, and the health sector. Uh, so that's my, my background and um, 
you know, from the perspective that I'm coming from. And are these mostly are people from ethnic minorities or Muslim backgrounds or mainstream or what sort of clientele do you have? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, I, at the start, I, was, I worked with a lot of people from, uh, uh, you could say, across uh, across all communities. But particularly in the last six to seven years, my work has really become focused around the Muslim community uh, and particularly young, young, young Muslim boys and girls. And um, from your perspective... And I don't know if this is too much of a strong term, but is there a crisis of masculinity amongst young Muslim males today? Uh, I mean, that's quite a, a that's quite a big question, isn't it? Really, I mean, it, it, it's quite a big question. What I don't want to do is kind of brush it over. I think there's a number of issues that we're experiencing with our youth, uh, and many times when we're looking at these issues, we can particularly begin to focus just on the youth and, and, and think that they are the ones who created this issue. But many times with young people, it's they're a product of their environments and they're many times a product of their parents. Uh, and parents have brought them up in a particular way and society has created an environment in a, in a way that they've been brought up and they've just become a product of that. Now, in terms of you know, what are the what are we experiencing with young men or young boys today? Um, there's definitely a crisis in terms of their identity. Um, uh, you know, for some, for some people, depending on what kind of background they are. But generally, you know, what we're having is young men who are lacking a, a real sense of presence, a lack of self-assurance. Um, you know, the, the ability to, be able to make decisions, to, to, to have courage to make decisions. I think there's definitely an element of that. That's that's really useful, and perhaps we'll explore some of these themes as we go on. What I think would be useful, we've got three clips at the moment, which we've got from different sources, and this, I think, will help us think about some of the issues or some of the discussions that are already going on in wider society. Um, so three quite prominent people, um, so see what you make of these sort of uh, clips, and then we'll pick up the discussion um, with Abdul Wadud, Sheikh Amr, and our guest Yasser. So the three quite um, different clips. So one was Barack Obama on what he was talking about men. And I think there's really interesting parallels in terms of the idea of masculinity in terms of the black community, particularly in the States. Um, second clip was by an Islamic uh, speaker, Yahya Ibrahim. And the third was the comedian, Bill Bailey. So lots of different perspectives, really, just to set the scene. I'd like to just read you a couple of definitions, actually. So I was Googling definitions. So masculinity... So it says masculinity is the qualities or attributes regarded as characteristic of men. And actually, interesting thing on Google, you can actually, it tells you the usage over time. So it's hardly used until the 1980s and 90s. And then there's a massive peak of this term masculinity in the last 10, 20 years. And chivalry, um, the definition is either a medieval knightly system with religious, moral and social code, um, or qualities of a, an ideal knight, including courage, honour, courtesy, justice, or courteous behaviour, especially that of a man towards women. And when you look at the usage of that, chivalry has actually declined since like the 1830s uh, through into the 1900s, 1950 and 2000s, actually the decline. So it's interesting that the word masculinity in books and in online is used a lot more and chivalry is used a lot less. So you've confirmed there that quantifiably chivalry is dead then? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so Sheikh Ahmed, I'd like to come to you in terms of some of these ideas. I guess one is this distinguishing feature of what's the difference between a male and being a man and your thoughts on that? Yeah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah. So um, I think the second clip was, was quite interesting 
where he was kind of talking about um, the difference between being called zakar, which is like male, versus rajul, which would be probably translated as man. Um, <clears throat> so being male is just obviously your gender, um, but being a man uh, is something greater than that. There's certain qualities that you have to have before you're considered to be uh, a man. And you've, you've, you see this in Islamic texts being used, the word rijal, or rijal, so I'm going to I'm going to quote, for example, um, just one, just so we understand it. This is um, from Abu Yazid al-Bastami, who was once asked, "When does a man attain the station of real men?" Um, so again, when do they attain the the, the rank of ar-rijal? So it's been translated here as real men. So that's quite a good a good way of saying it. Um, and this was basically a, a term by spiritual masters to denote that a person had reached a high station with uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regardless of their gender so it wasn't like they were talking about the person's gender it was basically people who have these qualities are considered to be men um, and he responded he, his response was when he is aware of the failings of his own ego his own nafs only then will he have reached that state so it's almost these like kind of um, <clears throat> higher qualities that you're talking about like chivalry um, these kind of qualities that a person would have, um, noble qualities, and once they've attained that, then then they really are, uh, ha or have become like um, real men. Because this this is hadith about like um, um, talking about um, like the the one who's strong, like who is the strong one, and the Prophet some said that the strong one is not the one who um, wrestles another person. So basically, making the point that that. Strength, true strength, is not physical strength. It's about being able to control yourself. It's about to be able to be, being able to have um, patience when uh, things are difficult. Um, so in this quote, uh, Yazid Bastami is basically saying that being manly is to um, to overcome your ego, to overcome your your nafs, um, and to to get to know God, uh, and not you and not misuse obviously what God has given you. So if God has given you strength, physical strength. You can't use that to be unjust to other people, um, and obviously in a, in the relationship in the previous programs we've been talking about between men and women, the obvious would be to use your strength to overpower um, somebody of the opposite gender. So that would not be considered to be manly; that'd be considered to be cowardly. And Yasser, if I could come to you in the same similar this idea of what qualities distinguish between being a, a male and being a man. And I wonder whether some of this conversation is around some people feeling that actually men nowadays are weak in, in terms of, you know, the weakness about the, the modern day man that is, you know, into his grooming and his clothing and his, um, you know, he can't stand up and be a real man or protect his family or protect this. So you kind of hear that. And I don't know whether that is coming from a lot of the feminist agenda. If you can unpack this, what a feminist means, but this whole societal move towards actually you know lessening the role of a male or, or men and um, so I'd, I'd be really be interested in your thoughts in terms of some of this idea of men being weak or feeble in, in the, the modern day or what makes a man a, ma a, a you know a man rather than just a male yeah, I think uh, there's, a, there's a term called um, well, commonly used with people say he's not a man he's just a boy with a beard you know mm -hmm. and um I think that's very, very common in like nowadays, where you have, you know, people who are developing on a on a physical level, but emotionally and psychologically and spiritually, 
they're not growing or evolving with the age and stage of life that they're at. And I think that's an issue with myself working practically with young men is that you have young men who are emotionally uh, very withdrawn, emotionally not um, lacking that intelligence uh, to deal with some of the issues that uh, they're experiencing at, at, at different stages of their lives. You know. And what, and so, what sort of problems does that lead to? It leads to all sorts of problems within people's lives, whether it be that through work or through family life or through uh, married life, you know, uh, in particular, uh, where, you know, people are really struggling to step up, or young men are particularly struggling to step, step up to the challenge uh, of the family life, married life, work life. I mean, I use an example of, of married life where we have uh, young men who are in marriages now who... Um, are not stepping up or not really coming to the fore and making the decisions that are being asked or required to be, you know, that they need to make, you know, uh, in their in their marriage, and that's causing issues within their within the marriage itself. How, how do we square that? I think that's really an interesting example because how do we square that circle? Because certainly when I was growing up, there was a lot of people were saying actually, you know, as practicing Muslims, you know, it's better to get married young now. There's so many temptations in society. There's so many, um, you know, uh, opportunities to fall into sin. So it's actually better you get married at a younger age so that you don't, you know, make a halal type of thing, you know, if you if you have feelings for girls. But then there's the idea that emotionally they're not mature enough, uh, never mind sort of economically independent. So what are your thoughts on that? And then Sheikh Amr, I guess, from yourself as well, because you deal with a lot of that. Um, Brother Yasser, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's coming back to the home environment. It's where, where how are we rearing these young boys to, bec- to become men? Uh, and I think that's where the fundamental problem is, is that rearing, that mentoring, is not taking place within within the home setting um, to really encourage men on a practical level, emotional level, to 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 develop. And I think that's what's the problem. There's too much almost kind of uh, mollycoddling that's going on, too much protectionism that's going on within the household that's leaving this young boy or man, whatever you want to call him, ill prepared to deal with with life. Sheikh Amr, your your thoughts on. I guess the idea of um, the impact that has on, on in relationships, you know, the idea of, you know, we encourage to get married young, you know, nowadays we're telling people, we're giving them that one side is like get married young and, yeah, yeah. and on the other side they're not actually mature enough or emotionally intelligent enough. To yeah, so I mean, obviously the, the, the issue probably that we have is that people mature physically before they mature mentally and then it's that trying to balance when is the, is the right time to get them married if you don't get them married for a significant period of time then there's a danger of them obviously ending up in illicit relationships or doing things which are not permissible um, but the danger of marrying them too early is that they're not um, ready or capable uh, and, and in effect they're boys rather than men so I think that's something that we need to kind of um, deal with in terms of how we're bringing up the next generation um, and kind of giving them more independence in their teenage years, uh, making them ready for and responsible for, for marriage. I mean, there is this idea, um, the ulama talk about what is the ruling on marriage, and if, if, the, f- if, if the person is um, uh, or has a fear that they will oppress their partner, uh, then it's makru, it's actually makru tahrimi for that person to get married, and if they're certain 
they'll oppress the other person, then it becomes unlawful. So there is this thing if you're if you know that you're going to, your behaviour is going to be oppressive towards your spouse, that you should sort yourself out. But I think as a community and a, and a, and a kind of um, larger scale, it's about basically. I think we were talking about this. Um, can't remember which discussion we were. I had this idea of the seven stages where. It was Imam Ali's statement that for seven years play with them and then for seven years teach them. And then the last seven years, which is basically from 14 to 21, your role becomes more as an advisor. Like you you, you kind of uh, appreciate that they are actually adults. They're responsible. They're legally, Islamically, they're responsible for their own prayers and, uh, and actions. So at that point, it's about getting them to be to kind of um, emotionally ready. Um, and because remember, I mean, you go back a couple of hundred years ago, people would get married at 16, 17, no problem, you know. So it's just that the 16 and 17 year olds today are, are not like those 16, 17 year olds. So it's obviously something's happened in society which is delaying that maturity. Um, and again, I think, like Yas are saying, it really does come from the parents and what, what they're, I mean, the parents have a massive role in what they can be teaching their children. I mean, uh, I, I don't want to go back to Ertugo, but because uh, <laughs> I was going to come on to that, but <laughs> later on, yeah. yeah. I mean, the reason the reason that I think that that's um, the reason I'm mentioning it is because obviously a lot of people can watch it and as a frame of reference, and they can they can like kind of make connections. But if you look at the way, so for example, the way he's teaching his young child, Gundus, who's, who's only like must be what, seven or something. Six, seven years old, but yeah, I'm not onto that series yet. All right, okay. Anyway, so, so <laughs> what, just what, a spoiler alert there. So what he mm. does, I mean, what he does, it's very interesting because when he goes away, he he, you know, he's a six, seven year old kid, but he says to him, "You've got responsibility now. You're, I'm leaving you in charge uh, of your brothers. I'm leaving you in charge to look after the tent." So obviously, all the adults are kind of they, they kind of laugh because they know it's all pretense, but he takes it really serious. You know, and he, he actually believes that, yes, I'm responsible for what goes on. So he walks about with his little wooden sword and all the rest of it. So what he's doing is from a very young age, he's teaching him responsibility that you look, you are responsible now for other people. It's not just about you, you, have, you know, and you have a duty. So he's already from a very young age bringing him up with those qualities. Mm. I actually think Arturo's a whole game changer, you know, actually in terms of generational perspective from a Muslim, you know, Muslim male and chivalry which we'll touch on. Yeah, Abdul yeah. Wadud uh, no, I mean, uh, just uh, touching on what Sheikh Hamar was saying, you know, the, I guess you know, I completely agree that <clears throat> I think the way we are conditioned to believe that you know, you have to grow up before you get married as well. I mean m- me personally, I don't entirely subscribe to that view that you know you're ever really ready for any of those events and you know a lot of a lot of I guess what being a man is quote-unquote is about just learning on the fly experiencing it because with that responsibility you'll you'll rise up to the to the challenge almost Uh, quite important in terms Mm. of when you look at from the kind of historic idea of what a man was in terms of the tribe and a, a big thing is this whole idea of the rite of passage the fact that you were becoming a man, uh, I think it was uh, I was listening to a talk by Sheikh Hamza, and he was talking about this whole idea that adolescence was this kind of adolescence is this almost invented thing where we perpetuate the idea of childhood, and what it's 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 seeping into into like much older ages. So can you elaborate on that? Because just expl- all right, so uh, flesh that out a bit because I think that's a really yeah, important concept and a big change actually. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think if I recall correctly, you're saying that you know you were talking like 1900s. This whole idea of being a teenager, 
you know, or being adolescent uh, was kind of almost invented or, you know, was perpetuated either way. And uh, I think what's actually happening is that that's leaking on into later on in life. So it's not just confined to the teen years, but it's moving all the way into 20s. And now what you see is people that aren't ready to get married and they're way into their 20s, way into, like you're, you're starting to touch 30s now. And you, you get, I'm sure you'll, you know, you've yeah. been in touch with people that they're all the way to their 40s and they still feel like they're, they're, they're they need to be looked after almost. And you know, you talked about, I think, Sheikh, um, you mentioned a while ago, maybe you can elaborate again on it. It was the whole idea of this really old man that, you know, was looking for a spouse, but he, he himself was reliant on his mother, I think, or something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it was a, a recent case where, where, where um, the guy's in his 50s and um, still kind of looking for his parental consent to um, to, to kind of get to approve of the, the woman he wants to marry kind of thing, you know, mm -hmm. so... But I mean, it's I, I see it a lot. I mean, I'm, so, I'm sure Yasser sees it a lot because we're in a kind of similar field that you've got guys who are in their 30s and 40s and um, their their mothers are still kind of modicocting them, um, and they and they just cannot, and and the women are complaining that they're just not taking the lead role. And then what's <coughs> happening is now they've got children, so not only have they got the problem with the husband, but now um, the child doesn't have a good role model to mm -hmm. look up to either. Um, so I think it's a, it is really a, a problem which um, has to be addressed. Yeah. So any comments on some of the discussions we've just been having? Yeah, no, just, it, just in terms of uh, what was coming to my mind was almost like with parenting many a time, I think parents start with, I don't think, you know, there's that saying about having, uh, starting with the end in mind. I think many mm. times parents mm. are rearing children not with any type of end in mind. You know, it's almost mm. what are we trying to rear here? You know, what type of man or what type of individual are we trying to uh, rear to, that's going to support, be able to support themselves, to contribute to society? Uh, and ultimately serve his Lord. And what's happening is, is that, you know, many a times we have young men uh, who, are, who are falling short because of the, the home environments, which is, you know, definitely an area that I would, begin, you know, continuously pointing towards, is we're not rearing, you know, men to be able to deal with the issues that are going on. And part of it is, is many times is a conflict between the parents, be that the mother and the father. The mother has one particular way of rearing the son, and the father has a very different way of rearing uh, the son. And that conflict in itself causes issues, you know, and leaves the young man in, in some, sort of, some sort of crisis. And the crisis is whoever wins that battle. And many times it's the, the mother who wins that battle, and, and there's many times where the father wins that battle. But what it needs is parents being consistent mm -hmm. in terms of what is the end goal that we're looking here, or what is the end personality that we're looking uh, in our child. Uh, we were discussing the whole idea about rearing children and parents being on board with the same uh, and the kind of same goals of raising raising a child and competing visions or just on the fly, you know, not really having the end in mind can lead to a whole host of problems for our youth, uh, our our male youth. So, uh, Brother Yasser, do you have any uh, any case studies uh, that you can share with us in terms of, in your experience as a counsellor, um, about, you know, some of the some of the issues that young men are facing? Uh, some of the young... I mean, there's a range of issues that young people are facing, and I think a lot of them are around um, self-esteem and self-image. Uh, I 
that and then that translates into more uh, issues in terms of relationships uh, we obviously our young people having more and more relationships and the relationships are getting when younger uh, mm-hmm. so when I mean about relationships is male to female kind of relationships okay. uh, obviously the complication that causes them and then we have you know certain risk-taking behaviors uh, be that through sexual relations through uh, alcohol drugs um, you know, and then we have other issues such as mental health difficulties that young people that are experiencing. Yeah, and Sheikhamar, in your capacity as a consultant for uh, Unity Family Services, uh, what kind of have you had any um, issues come to you regarding males uh, in terms of? I mean, I guess you've you talk, you've often talked about uh, husbands. Uh, do you have any other examples that you can share with us? Uh, it's just like um, men not fulfilling their obligations as as husbands. That basically, for example, not giving maintenance to their to their wives or their children, or it could be where they are pro- they are providing, but they're not um, playing an active role in um, their children's lives, especially younger boys. And so, uh, there's no checks and balances. The, you know, the kind of maybe the guys mm-hmm. at taxi driver whatever come just he does, you know, he, he he works. He just views his role as I need to work. Um, put a roof over the head, put food on the table, and that's it. It doesn't go beyond that. Um, whereas this whole idea, and they were kind of talking about that people need to be engaged in their child's development through the younger years and through the kind of teenage years as well. That's kind of missing. So it's almost that kind of idea of uh, either lacking um, um, skills, parental parental skills, or just being um, physically there but they're kind of absent. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think we talked about the whole idea of absent fathers um, that are just there by almost by virtue of the fact that they're just, you know, earning and but not nothing beyond that. And I mean, mm. I guess just before we just before we broke uh, for the the ad break there, but the man you were talking about toxic masculinity and how we were going to explore that a little bit. Yeah, I'd like to bring on um, move the discussion on to include this concept which I'll explain a little bit more about but you'll have heard a lot more of this idea of masculinity and toxic masculinity and one of the big furores has been in relation to the Gillette advert um, many of you will remember the Gillette going what, what was the saying growing up guys Gillette best a man can get best a man can get um, and I remember that very much in terms of you know uh, a very powerful advert and messaging you know growing up uh, I think it was the 80s and 90s uh, and they released an updated version um, of this advert which is along the lines of the best a man can be I think it is mm-hmm. So we just played uh, both adverts of the Gillette advert, which was um, caused a lot of controversy. The old one, which was the tagline, which was the best a man can get. And I think that tagline had been there for about 30 years. And they released this one called the best a man can be. And they received a lot of comments on both sides. Um, the company said it wanted to hold men uh, to hold each other accountable. So the idea is that the men are regulating other men in terms of uh, a lot of the changes and things like the Me Too movement, their attitudes, etc. But others have criticised it as it being quite like a feminist propaganda agenda and that's why the idea of masculinity has um, been raised. And, and it's interesting, within the advert itself, there's um, actually a Muslim reference in there as well. They had um, There's a scene from... There's a video that went viral in from America, uh, a chap called Ibn Ali Miller, who was that man, there's two young boys fighting and he intervened 
and he told them to stop fighting and they ended up shaking their hands like they were like high school kids and so that was part of the clips in, in the Gillette advert as well and that was back in 2017 and he went on a lot of talk shows and people were very much saying look you know you're brave to intervene and turn things around and he you know he said basically as a Muslim that was part of my view but this idea of toxic masculinity so this is something that was developed or maybe attributed to a psychologist Shepherd Bliss in the 80s and 90s and he sought to kind of you know separate the negative and the positive traits within men and the negative traits he used uh, the term toxic masculinity and by that he said the traits that men have that are toxic are uh, avoiding emotional expression um, over aspiration for physical sexual and intellectual dominance so that idea of being an alpha male having to control physically sexually intellectually and also the systematic devaluation of women's opinions, bodies and sense of self. So the idea that the man overpowers the woman's sense of herself as well. Um, and so some of that has led to the notion that men must act in a very dominant and aggressive manner and have to command respect. And so by, you know, part of that is subjugating women as well. So, I mean, I think that's a massive thing in terms of both of you look culturally as well. Many of us in the South or South Asian or Indo-Pak sort of background or Arab backgrounds, this idea of the man must be strong, you know, whatever he says goes, women's view doesn't matter, etc. So it'd be really too interested to hear. I mean, Yasser, if I could come to yourself first and then Sheikh Amr, this whole idea of this masculinity and toxic masculinity, have you kind of had to face some of these ideas and concepts? I'd really welcome your thoughts and perspectives on this. Yeah, no, I heard what you said. So in terms of the, your, your question, yeah, I think... I think that issue has been around for a number of years, this whole kind of toxic masculinity. I think that's been around for many, many years, many generations. And um, and I think we're, we're still living with this culture of, you know, we're talking about, you know, men avoiding emotional ex- ex- expression and this sexualized behavior, de- devaluing women. Uh, unfortunately, that's very prevalent in the culture that we live in, and, and sometimes it's attributed to certain communities, but I think it's prevalent in all communities and in the wider by the culture, and that's breeding a particular type of man, you know, um, uh, and, and that c- comes with that then, you know, certain types of behaviours and attitudes, be that towards other men or, or, or women. In this case, we're looking at toxic masculinity, that's causing that's causing issues. Yeah, so one of the big things in in the North England where you are obviously in the media perspective is very much the whole recent convictions of grooming and, um, you know, typically you know, the perception that it's many Asian or Pakistani or Indian men that are doing a lot of this and feeding into that idea of, I guess, that sexual prowess as well, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, like almost that idea of the man conquers these women and the more women you have, that whole culture. And I think that's probably something you guys have been dealing with, you know, on a day-to-day basis over the last few years with this whole grooming aspect. Do you think that resonates with any of this in terms of this? um, Are there any parallels there? Uh, in terms of the CSE and the grooming issue, I think that that's across all communities. I don't think that's very much, you know, like we have had issues in the north of England and in the south of England where we've had, you know, young Asian men, particularly of Pakistani background, who have been uh, unfortunately exploiting young young girls. But like I said, it's not, you know, they have no exclusivity of this. The figures and the statistics will tell you that. But, I mean, looking into our community, I think there is within certain segments of our youth uh, there is that issue and that there is a problem around this type of uh, you know very um, you could say immature behavior 
uh, that's leading to people taking risks and taking advantage of, of, of young girls. And I think what happens is because relationships are, or you could say, n- not seen favorably within our, uh, you know, within these communities, uh, I think then what people are doing is going around uh, the parents and their communities and unfortunately engaging in in these, you know, quite, um, uh, you know, this indecent behavior and criminal behavior. You know. But it's where is that attitude? Where is that coming from? Many times, going back to like the, you know, the lives of young men. Where are we having these discussions with our youth, our boys around sexuality, around relationships, about uh, how you treat, uh, uh, you know, a, a woman? How I mean, what are the roles and responsibilities within a relationship? Them discussions are not being had, and because we're creating this big void, uh, we're seeing some of the results not only within our own communities, but in general population. And Sheikh Amr, one of the things, I guess, related to this whole topic is the idea of the power dynamic where, you know, systematically men seem to have more power. And, and we see some of that with the whole Me Too movement where they're talking about um, both within sort of Hollywood and uh, business, etc. And I want to bring it to something that's perhaps close to your sort of environment, which is, I guess, there's also been the parallel sort of scandals or allegations or discussions within Muslim circles, particularly around Muslim speakers, male speakers, who have been accused of being inappropriate in terms of their gender interactions, uh, taking advantage of women who are vulnerable and, you know, these scholars or activists, etc. So there have been a number of these over the last few years, which is kind of really divisive as well within our community. So where, where does that all fit in with this, I guess, the things that you deal with as, as a scholar, as somebody who, you know, particularly a lot of, you know, males and females will be coming to you seeking advice, getting, you know, about very personal questions and how does it stop somebody overstepping the mark? And even these are Islamic scholars, so you think, you know, women are going to them in these safe spaces to get that advice? Um, yeah, I think I think this is why um, it's very important that um, not only do we uh, talk about, like, um, the prophetic model in terms of how the prophets... I mean, how did how did men and women interact at the time of the prophets, Allah Um We know that, um, for example, that women used to pray in the prophetic mosque. Um, at one point, there was only one door. They didn't have a barrier. So how did they, how did they like, um, you know, how did they interact with one another? We know of conversations between male and female Sahaba, male Sahaba coming to Sayyidatul Aisha. So they were obviously interacting, communicating, um, but they were, there were obvious etiquettes, there were already obvious boundaries. I think boundaries is a very important word. Um, and like these scandals that you're talking about with scholars or so, or, or so on, I think uh, people have to understand that um, you, the Sharia is is there as a protection. The Sharia is from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala knows our natures, knows what what boundaries we need. Uh, and sometimes, although it might seem restrictive, so for example, let's just take a very um, common example, which is handshaking with women. Um, now, some people might see that as excessive, and they'll say, "Well, you know, in this culture, people don't do it in that uh, in that in that manner, in a sexual manner, or whatever." I mean, now there's uh, very recently there was I should put it on my, my Facebook. There was very recently a discussion about because of all this Me Too movement, um, some women actually saying we 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 think there should be no uh, no physical contact policy at work, which is basically um, non-Muslim. This is non-Muslims now because because. 
we we don't we don't have to experiment before we come to that conclusion. We just say, look, if this is if this is what the Sharia is selling us, um, then there's, there's obviously benefit in it because if there is no physical touch, then it can never be misconstrued. It can never never you know can never go wrong. So we have these concepts such as that no physical touch. We also have the concept of um, uh, khalwa, which is basically being alone with somebody of the opposite sex. So there should always be a third party there, and that just keeps you right. Um, so all of these kind of um, uh, teachings, guidelines that we have, they are for our benefit. Uh, I mean, I remember once, um, um, you know, when I when I when I see uh, like a female, I always um, ensure that somebody comes with her. Um, I'm not comfortable seeing someone alone. I remember once um, um, this female turned up. To the office and uh, and sh- and I said, where where's your? Because we'd, we'd we'd ask that you've come you come with somebody. She said, uh, oh that person cancelled, um, but I'm here. And I said, I'm I so, I'm sorry, I can't I can't um, deal with you because uh, I can't you know uh, it can't just be me and yourself. She goes, it's okay, I trust you. And I said, it's not about me trusting you or you trusting me. We have to respect the Sharia. You understand? So it's about that. It's about this uh, uh, respecting the Sharia. And that the Sharia is above everyone, and that's why they say Al Khalwa Haram, Walaukanat bi Maryam bint Imran. That Khalwa is Haram, even if it was with Maryam, um, the daughter of Imran. Like in other words, such a a, a chaste, um, purified soul like Maryam, it would still be not permissible. So even if it's an old person, so the Khalwa would still not be permissible. So the thing is, those um, rules might ne- might seem excessive, but they're there for our. Um, protection. So obviously we know about lowering the gaze. So lowering the gaze. So 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 this me this me too movement, for me anyway, it showed. Look, this is why it's so important to have boundaries. It's so important for there to be that male space and female space, and not to not to cross those because then it's a very bloody line and it can get you into trouble. And that's what's happened. Do you think within circles of your imam scholar colleagues? That they're aware of this or are there many that are st- still oblivious or take advantage or put themselves in these sort of situations I'm just thinking the high profile ones that we've heard about mm-hmm. you you know immediate reaction is yeah don't believe it they must know better right or how you know try to think through the logic of how do they get themselves you know I guess human nature but I guess I'm just interested to see you know are the, the pe- you know scholars etc are they yeah, yeah. I mean, look, and the scholars are not angels. They're not. They're not like um, sinless. Only prophets are sinless. Um, everybody else can sin. So it doesn't matter. And this is why you've got to. I, I remember reading a uh, reading a really good quote, which was um, that you should never um, become complacent in your 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 affairs because <coughs> because look at what shait- happened to Shaitan. In other words, Shaitan worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a long time but he fell from grace which means that no matter what your track record is you might be a scholar and taught the community for years and years but you cannot you can fall from grace at any time if you do not respect uh, the sharia and I remember one of the, th- of the things when we were studying we did this counselling course um, um, I remember that our teacher was saying that um, th- th- I think I can't remember the percentage it was about 10% of all male counsellors or something end up having affairs with their clients because what happens is in that situation where you're being empathetic <coughs> towards that person they've probably had really bad experiences with men 
and you become the ideal kind of man and it becomes very easy to become attached and if you're trying to be the good Samaritan you're trying to help you might go beyond and might say oh I don't want to I don't want like I don't want to you know pull back here maybe she's holding my hand out of comfort I don't want to hold back in case you know I, I break her or whatever but this is where you have to say I'm sorry but this is not permissible the Sharia this is you know so this is the thing I think um, those situations I don't think they could have arisen ha- had the Sharia not been uh, overlooked yeah, so can I just ask, I don't know if you've come across this, but I know a lot of friends um, that are married, when we meet up sometimes they'll talk about having four wives, you know? It's <laughs> almost for the man, it's that aspirational, you know, if, if, if it ever happened, you're the dawn type of thing, you know? If you got four. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and the wives, you know, will totally, you know, shoot it down, <laughs> you know? But is that idea that, you know, something about you're more of a man if the more wives you have? If you probably ask married people, <laughs> probably seen that. So, what are your thoughts on that? I guess because that's a bit of that discrepancy. Because I guess that idea of manliness, you know, in terms of okay, you, if you're, you know, a fertile man with four wives, then you know you're more. I you think can, your life expectancy will probably go down. <laughs> um, so that that kind of thing. I know people say it in jest, but some I know guys will be thinking like that. You know, that, you know. Um, I, you know that that's an aspirational thing, and it's in the sunnah, etc. You know, and they'll use that argument. But uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know if you've come across anything like that, or the, the, even the ban. I guess I'm talking more about the banter, really, or the the thinking behind it, rather than how many carry it through. You know. Yeah, I think in the one thing, thinking is the one thing people carry now is it's a totally different thing, isn't it? Really, but I think the the, the issue here is that. Um, yeah, in the recent years, because of the, the in terms of the male and female percentage within terms of our community, those who are looking to get married, there is a definitely more females who who are looking to get married, and hence this issue has come up around. You know, people, do, you know, men taking on uh, additional wives and stuff. But I think, uh, like Sheikh Ahmed alluded there, I think you know many people are just, just you know having challenges, uh, you know, with the marriages that that they have in terms of just trying to maintain. Uh, a good and sound household earlier on we talked about you know men not being present at home and absent fathers and you know and Sheikh Hamid mentioned taxi drivers I, I would say it's, it's the same with white collar workers nowadays you know people who are lawyers doctors you know working 60 70 hours a week that are causing these issues within our households but coming back to marriage and stuff when people are struggling to give one wife the time you know, I think three and four, even though they may be idolizing in their own head, I think the reality is, you know, uh, very far from that. And then those people who have done it, I mean, I've worked with people who have had, uh, you know, two stroke three marriages, one person actually married four times, but uh, eventually he rolled back to the one wife and ended up divorcing the other three, <laughs> you know, just the way it, just the way that life worked out for him and stuff, and the other three broke down. It is, it's, it's very challenging. And I think sometimes we've got to look at this the society you know where where we're at at this moment of time, and likewise the needs of our children, you know. Uh, and then many times are these people marrying people who are, uh, you know, like single mothers, or the people marrying people who are divorced women, or they're marrying people who are widows, you know. Uh, many times it's just uh, it isn't it isn't that type of a population that people are looking aspiring to get married to and this is where we're talking about Sahaba this is the Prophet and this is the people that they married um, so just before we broke we were talking a lot about toxic masculinity and we're primarily talking about it in the context of older males now 
Yeah, sir, it's more uh, a question uh, directed to you, but if anybody else has any comments, please feel free to to chip in. But, you know, a, a big aspect of uh, toxic masculinity starts from a, a younger age, not just, um, you know, not just when you're when you're a husband or a father, but it can start quite early on. Uh, a big thing we, we often see with the, with the Muslim youth is we see this kind of gang culture starting to be adopted and really, you know, quite common in urban areas especially. Uh, Yasser, have you had any kind of issues or uh, cases where, you know, this kind of uh, phenomena of gang culture has come up in your role as a consultant? Yeah, I think this, it is prevalent and stuff, unfortunately, within many of our communities where this drug culture, which goes hand in hand with uh, 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 with, with drugs, the mm -hmm. gang culture, the drug culture, the CSE culture, the CCE, which is child criminal exploitation culture, uh, is very much prevalent in, in many communities and focusing here particularly around Muslim communities, yes, within the neighbourhoods I, I work with, we, we have these issues, definitely. Yeah. Are, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, we, we have it here in Glasgow as well. I mean, I was showing Sheikh Ahmed just at the break there uh, a video of, you know, some of the local youths, I guess, um, having what they seemed to think was as fun, but they were putting, uh, setting off a lot of fireworks and throwing mm. these around the main street. Um, mm. And I actually happened to be trying to leave the area at that point, and it was like it was like a war zone. I, I can't describe mm -hmm. it. There was there was police cars going by, and they weren't able to do anything because of the sheer number of mm. of males. And what uh, you know, I think what we find is that you know, masjids had to actually formally come out and apologise and not condone the behaviour. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we're really we're missing something vital there, you know. Uh, Sheikh Amr, you, do you have any comments to make about that? I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, was, I mean, you're showing me that video. Obviously, it's um, very unfortunate, <clears throat> and it is Muslim youths uh, causing kind of havoc on the streets. I think we have to really um, ask ourselves, like, why is why is that happening? Where is it coming from? I think one of the things that <clears throat> I think we need to work on is like I mean if, if you have no purpose in life, if you're aimless then you'll just end up going with the flow whatever seems like a good idea at the time you just kind of follow the crowd um, so I think it's, it's very important that um, we, we bring children up from a very young age with a clear idea of what they're doing on this planet Allah said to the angels I'm putting a, a vicegerent or a Representative on this earth, um, you know that I. I mean, I was uh, uh, like as before. I was talking about Ertugo and how he, from his uh, from his young son, he's giving him very clear instructions from six, seven years old. His what his purpose is. You, you're going to be a bay in the future, which is like a leader. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to. You can't behave like this. You need to behave like this. And so he's from a very young age, clearly giving him. Um, his his role in life, so he he almost as a child knows what I'm supposed to do in the future, and I think um, this is something I remember one of our teachers was was talking about how um, from a very young age we need to inculcate um, in in young children, especially I would say for for because we're discussing boys, like what is their what is their mission in life, mm -hmm. what are they here to do? Are they here just to you know eat and play and sleep? Um, or enjoy themselves, or are you here for a bigger purpose? Um, so 
making them for like a very simple thing is if you're and again this is going back to um, effective parenting whereas if you're with you with you when you're with your child and you walk past a homeless person you actually you know give the child some money and say go and give it to that person mm. and then t and, and then make that conversation this person doesn't have a home it's our job you know to look after those who can't look after themselves the helpless the weak you know you may mention a, a story of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mm. i mean a lot of the times in ertugo when he's, he's having a difficult time who turns up ibn arabi mm. and Arab ibn arabi always takes it back to the prophet sallallahu alaihi or to yusuf alaihi salam or one of the prophets and then you know that's so he's basically guiding him through that this is how you deal with things so if if we were giving our young um, males a, a, you know a purpose this is your purpose in life you have to do that you know that the prophets came to this earth why did they come to the earth what was their function it was to take da'wah to 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 people so you're a you're a da you're a person of da'wah you have a mission in life you've got a message to deliver to people you're there to stand up um, for the week you're there to stand up and speak the truth um, to uh, stand up for justice um, to support your, your your siblings to support uh, your uh, family members when they're going through difficult times now if somebody believes that is their purpose in life they're not going to go out and Albert drive and throw fire and, f and fire fireworks yeah. especially at the police mm -hmm. because they if you if they've if you've instilled in them that you're a person of da'wah they know that this goes against the whole principle so it's it's the fact that they 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 they, they don't know what their purpose is they they're there's almost like aimless um and this is what a lot of um if you look at gang culture people look for belonging a lot of the mm. time so anti-social behavior is, is, is boredom mm. you know people young guys they don't know so what they do they hang about hang about the streets and then they get up to no good so you have to channel that um that youth that energy into the right direction mm. uh, and this is what i was mentioning and um uh, in, in another place about the youth that you know how much of our resources do we allocate to the youth i mean our community is one of the youngest about 50 percent of our community is under 25 so we should be i mean at least half of our effort should be on them and it's probably more because obviously they need more help than older people <coughs> so a lot of our energy our programming everything really should be channeling towards that age group you know the, the, those young early years where they need a lot of help and if you if you can i mean if you look at your own life i mean if, if i look at my own life um those years were very very important i mean the people that played a central role in your life when you're 18 19 20 21 you know um that gave you advice you remember it till, till this day mm. <clears throat> i mean i i went off to to, to start studying Islamic knowledge at the age of 21 so those those years before that they were very important years you know so that the if you if you can have these connections when they're at the teenage years mm -hmm. um, even if they go off, off the rails if they see you again they, they, they you know because because they associate you with a good memory they'll come back to you and say oh you know how you doing this and that and you can say oh, yeah, what have you been up to oh I got into some trouble this happened that happened all right okay why didn't you come you know so you can you can um uh, undo a lot of a lot of things or basically bring people out of maybe the environment they're in just through your your company with them so i think it's that kind of um idea of um it, at a very young age having those kind of avenues and also um people need people need to be inspired um so connecting people to the to the prophet as a person the prophet 
and you know his difficulties, his life, um, key historical figures. So what, I mean, why is this program Erto become so um, popular? Yeah. Because a historical figure, somebody real, mm. who, who went through, and all the, obviously a lot of it's based in fiction, but. Um, people can 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 look at that and think, oh, look at look at him, you know. And the thing is, he's, he's a brilliant example because he is he is very macho, he is very manly, but he's also very gentle with his wife, with his mother, you know, with 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 uh, women folk. He's very gentle, so he's he's got that mercy in him. He's got that sense of justice in him, and so the, these uh, figures like Salahuddin Al Ayyubi, uh, Umar ibn Abdulaziz, the four Khalifas. I mean, one really good one would be um, Sultan Mehmed, who who conquered uh, Constantinople at the age mm. of 21. You know, so if you've got a, a group of 21-year-olds and you're talking about Sultan Mehmed, and um, you're saying that you know he led uh, <coughs> his army uh, into Istanbul, and you, you guys are playing Fortnite. You know, um, so <laughs> do you know what I mean. So, so it's to show that you know these guys were doing things at at, at those ages. And one of the scholars, one of my, my one of my friends, good colleagues, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Aslam, um, who's quite active on Facebook. One of the good, really good things that he does is he's constantly putting up stories of of, of people, mm. men and women, who who transformed other people or transformed societies. And he's putting that up as 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 examples of look look at these people look what they did with their lives. I mean, one simple one was he, he, he put this story up about um, this the scholar who was um, this thief, um, you know, um, broke into his house and he didn't realise the sheikh was awake. And the sheikh kind of said, uh, you know, he got startled. He goes, he goes, come here, have some tea with me. And basically, he he spoke with him the entire and he said, look, take whatever you need. <laughs> take whatever you need, uh, no problem. Just whatever you need, just take it. He spent an entire night talking to him, and by the morning, the guy had done tawbah and changed his ways. You know, this, mm -hmm. this is this is a thing that these people um, that that are doing these things. The, 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 you know, they're our they're our brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. They're our ummah. You know, we've got to we've got to think well. Wh where is my responsibility? It's not just me going to the mosque and looking after mm -hmm. myself and looking after my little family about these guys who are doing these things what, you know how can i connect with them how can i reach out to them yeah, and i guess i guess uh, one thing that ties into is the whole concept of futua and you know um sunnah sports as well you know um and i believe uh Billy Yasser, you were at a retreat where uh, sheikh ibrahim was also present and he's he's very big on this whole idea of promoting you know reviving the sunnah traditions of wrestling and and these kind of uh, archery mm -hmm. and horse riding. Do you, uh, do you have any comments to make about that in terms of how yeah. it could actually be a kind of mechanism by which we, you know, tackle some of the some of the gang culture and you know harness that energy and put it towards some good? Yeah, no, definitely. Alhamdulillah, I've been uh, you know privileged enough to be able to. I mean, the retreat is in its uh, fifth year this year, and I've been lucky enough to to go to you know four of the the retreats. And uh, mashallah, I think you know something that Sheikh Ibrahim has really picked up on is exactly this topic that we're talking about today. Is about this absence of key qualities within our young men or older men or whatever it is. You know, there is an absence there in terms of you know, be that courage, be that temperance, justice, balance uh, within our youth. And how do we now re-foster that? Mm. Unfortunately, the bad news is we can't get an injection. You know, five you know milligram of <laughs> courage or ten milligram of courage that has to be harnessed and fostered. And one of the ways that is done is through reviving these prophetic disciplines in sports. 
And the Fatwa retreat that takes place in Turkey every year, mashallah, is where a number of key, mashallah, um, um, you could say coaches, um, uh, you know, be that from um, horse riding, jiu-jitsu, archery, uh, swimming, uh, calligraphers come together uh, on a retreat and teach, you know, uh, young people and people who are older like myself uh, these martial sports and, and, and these skills in order to harness some of these qualities because you can't, you know, going back to the, the issue about Ertrigal, you know, it, it's not good enough just looking at things that people have got, got to begin doing things Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we, young people, we want them to become good and great. As one is, they've got to see it, but then they've got to re- live the reality of it and stuff. And through engaging these type of sports, is that where they're really now being put through the mill, mm-hmm. you know, of uh, trying to harness these these qualities. Because you have young lads who are 16 years old, 17 years old, who think they can take on the world, mm-hmm. put them in a dojo with another man, you know, and all of a sudden his legs start shaking yeah. when he knows he he, he has to now fight with this man in front of other people mm. you know and either he bails out or either he sees this through you know but when he does see it through mashallah he becomes you know a better man for it and I think part of it is is that inshallah we've got to really uh, you know mentor and uh, support our young people and, and really get them to engage in these type of uh, you know sports and mashallah Sheikh Ibrahim has really picked onto something very very important here you yeah. know and this year mashallah as part of the retreat I'm going again this year sure. this year mashallah we've got people coming from Chicago America South Africa Australia you know so this so mashallah this is catching on now people are beginning to see there is an absence of this yeah and I mean I think a big component of these uh, when you look at when you kind of distill them down to their core is this whole idea of discipline and discipline of the self um, through these kind of uh, through these through these kind of disciplines of, you know well disciplines disciplining mm. um, I guess that ties into the whole idea of how do we you know you say you find your uh, your son you know it might be a younger brother be a nephew you know and you find them in this kind of um, these kind of you know gangs and groups of youth how do how do you actually go about you know not not to discipline but how do you go about to actually approach the discussion of you know bringing them out of that because that can be quite a tough thing because I guess uh, just by the virtue of being older and not being from their you know age group you suddenly become somebody who's quite ah, you don't know what's really going on and stuff and mm. um, there's a kind of cockiness associated with it uh, how do you actually approach that and gen- and generally you know just to everybody else as well like. You know how how do you approach discipline um, in a kind of in this environment that we find ourselves in, where you know it's not it's not appropriate, um, and most of us probably would discourage it now. Is the whole idea of physical discipline through uh, through physical means? Um, how do we go about approaching discipline? I think the key word here is just listening and understanding the lives of young people. You know, like it's it's hard being a parent nowadays, but it's also very difficult being a young person. Uh, in the day and age that we're living in and stuff and I think when you're talking about gang culture and people uh, being on the streets coming from quite difficult backgrounds we have to listen to their stories we have to mm-hmm. understand who these children are what their yeah. background is they didn't choose in some ways to end up here their circumstances in some ways mm-hmm. pushed them to be in that environment where they've now <coughs> befriended these people who are in some ways exploiting them or they're exploiting uh, these other, you know, like young people. So yeah, so so we're not preaching. You know, preaching isn't going to get us anywhere. Yeah. What we've got to look to do is befriend, mentor, support, encourage these, you know, these people, and gradually, you know, 
to take them steps back towards you know a life which you know which is you know more you know like worthy of of, of living yeah. you know and, and traditionally going back to the point that we haven't got now people you know we had the the coal mines we had the mills mm-hmm. we had the boatyards where you know the shipyards where people were mentored young boys were brought into environments with older men and they were mentored we don't have you know mm. places like that anymore you know so so where are our are our youth going our mosques are not providing places where we have a multitude of professionals in our communities who are not in some ways offering their services to our youth to say you know i made it so can you and i'll mm. show you the way and i'll support you along the way it's not happening yeah no so that that connection needs to be made and without a doubt yeah yeah and a man how about yourself uh, you know your father too Two sons uh, as well. How do you go about disciplining uh, your children? Like, what's your approach? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think is uh, I, I guess I'm still learning in terms of <clears throat> often because I think it's difficult because in terms of my day job, you know, you, you learn about principles and you can often advise other parents. So you you're always taught, you know, the narrative is that you know you need to as they're growing up, boundaries are important because by its nature, children want to push the boundaries. And actually, it is beneficial when they they're looking for boundaries, and that you should be like firm, fair, and consistent. You know, in terms of you know what boundaries you set, whether that's to do with screen time or going out or studying or whatever it is. And I think that's uh, it. Kind of makes sense, but it can be really challenging. And I think a lot of it depends on the temperament of the child, and it's really understanding that and being able to then adapt what that child needs and all children will develop in in different ways um so i th- i think in terms of my attitude i think there's a lot of challenges um i'm still you know my son's eldest son is 12 so he's kind of hitting that age where you know humbly you know he's, he's good but it, with all these children and i know from growing up myself you know there'll be a bit where you want to uh, oppose authority or do things what you you know they don't want to do things or they'll how do you how do you think you'll approach that uh, you want to know the length of my stick, or you want to? <laughs> no, no. Um, I think it's diff- it's difficult because it's it's. I think I I need a bit more courage as a as a parent to allow them to make mistakes, mm. and that's where I mm. think I'm kind of very much you know trying to see two or three steps ahead and say, look, you know, this is good for you, mm. hopefully, mm. and I'm very much. I, I've not got there yet, but I, I think I have to let him make his own mistakes as well, which is really difficult because, you know, especially when you s- deal with a lot of your other young kids, you can mm-hmm. see where it goes. But in terms of positives, I think as a family, we try and find opportunities to go to go with other families that have got good sort of um, similar values, you know, where there's retreats or camps or mm-hmm. programs where we try and take the family. So they're very familiar within that Muslim environment. So, so that's subliminal things. You know, he started, he does the ice school for school. So again, it's trying to give some of the educational knowledge. Um and he gets involved with things like young Muslims as well. So I, I think we're trying to do that, but not force it too much. My personal attitude, mainly growing up, I think, was my friends that I saw, and some were very religious, some were doing everything they needed to. They were good at heart, but they would smoke weed, they would do all these other things. I think my philosophy is after the age of like 12 or 13, they're going to do what they're going to do, or they're going to find ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, we've been trying to front load up until the age of 11, 12, give them as much as we can, tell them what, the, you know, they need to do and at this age I think it will be very much more they'll be more selective and yeah. depending what phase they're in so I think it's um, I think it's a challenge as a parent to find the right thing to do mm. 
but yeah no that's why I'm in these sort of discussions I'm learning as much as I can <laughs> but I think you know it comes back to the environment you set at home which yeah. I know Brother Yasser's talking a lot about with Sheikh Amr as well but your environment your company the influences yeah. and then you know these people will you know the kids will go their own way and yeah. you can't I mean I, I resist the urge to micromanage them or, or yeah. for the foreseeable you know forever because yeah. it's not going to be possible. No, and no, you're right. Especially when you hit uni. Yeah. You know these kids are going to do whatever they're going to do. Yeah, you know? And yeah. if you're if it's too strict and too controlled, then you know, they almost go the other way. Other they have way, to yeah. just. And I've I've actually dealt with a lot of patients that have gone mm. the other way. You know where, you know it's very strict religious Muslim households, not allowed to do anything, particularly girls, um, have to stay at home. And they had their first night out at uni. They got pregnant got ostracized from the family that all the domino effect that came out of there and that was basically is it was the first release that they had they met a guy yeah. slept with him the first night you know and then she got pregnant and all the issues that came out of that mm. and that was really from such an extreme upbringing strict yeah, yeah. Mm. and so that doesn't work either it'll just catch up on you i think yeah and shikama do you have any comments to make um i think i think what what you are saying i think is is, is important just to to listen um and i think that this is a thing that um if if you're if you're if you're constantly talking um, as parents, you need to do this. You need to do that. You have absolutely no idea what is going on in that young person's mind. And I think a lot of, a lot of the thing a lot of the trick is to ask kind of open questions and and really just let them pour out what's going on inside. Um, because the thing is, they're going to if they don't do it to you, they'll be telling their friends. They'll be doing it online with somebody. There's there's, there's going to be some outlet, or there might be <coughs> somebody of the opposite gender. So um, you want to kind of have an idea of what's what's going on now. They're not going to do that unless they feel comfortable when they feel that, that they're not going to get judged or get, being given into trouble for it. So I think a lot of the times is <coughs> allowing them to just talk, you listening, and just, just, just kind of asking questions like, well, that's interesting. So just acknowledging that, you know, uh, okay, you, you have got a right to have that opinion. But then just kind of challenging it in a very soft way by saying, well, well, have you thought of it from this perspective? Or have you thought of it from that perspective? And why did you, th you know, so you're just kind of um, almost playing like the devil's advocate in a sense. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is you're you're very uh, subtly guiding them. So it's like, it's, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a very explicit way of doing it. You're going to do it my way or that's it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or you can do it in a very subtle way where you've just kind of, they, they almost feel as if it's their decision so they've come to that conclusion but what you've done is you've kind of facilitated and pushed them and steered them towards that that kind of conclusion but it's they've, they've got ownership of it and because they've got ownership of it they're more likely to to do it and then also you have a good idea of how they're thinking and it's almost like you you're now playing the role of um, shaping their thoughts so they've got their thoughts and what you're doing is like like the the, the blacksmith you're you kind of banging the the iron into shape and um so you're just kind of pushing it towards w where you think it needs to go i think uh, a man's uh, comment about having the courage to let them make mistakes is very important um because from an islamic perspective once they get to puberty they're now adults they're actually responsible for their own choices at that point although we might still view them as children um, so I think you still you have to start to um, give them that respect that you are, and I should just say to them, you're you're a man now, you're a woman. You know, you you actually use those words that you're you're going into manhood now. You need to um, uh, become more responsible for yourself. 
this is your responsibility and actually giving them responsibility allowing them sometimes so if you're just a simple thing let's say it's, let's say you're going on a family holiday you could just say right it's your responsibility you need to go away and book the flights and organize this and organize that so actually just giving them that um you know role of okay this is now your responsibility so if they say right dad what are we doing today well you tell us you you're the guy you're in, you're in, you're in, you're in charge of um, of our schedule and then and but thing is I'm going to ask you why you've put that there and why we're we doing that and why we're we not doing something else so you know so you're you're just kind of almost like passing over the banton mm. um, that look and, and just things like salah so when it comes to prayer time hopefully you've been praying in jamaat but then when they come of age you lead the prayer you do the adhan it's your job you, you now need to step up because this is what you're going to be doing I've been doing it all this time now I'm giving that job to you you know so Everything you know, you're kind of gently pushing them towards um, all of these kind of um, roles. So you're preparing them in a very subtle and gentle way, and and they will make mistakes. And um, it's also important to teach them it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. One of the problems I think with our generation was there was a fear of making mistakes. Um, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but it was like you know, oh look at other people's sons, they're doing this, they're doing that. Look at you, you know. So. Um, or if you messed up, you know, other people like use you as an example, but you have to have that, that kind of courage that it doesn't matter what other people think. You know, I'm your father, I'm your mother, um, and as long as I'm okay with it, you shouldn't care what other people think, and it's okay. You, you, you made a mistake, it's fine. I've made hundreds of mistakes in my life. Uh, if you're not mm-hmm. going to make mistakes, you're never going to learn. So, mm-hmm. almost like you're building their confidence. You know, mm. we're very good at, at um, destroying people's confidence mm. um, because this is one of the things, uh, one, of the, one of the first videos I did in the Good Life series was Never Say Never, um, and it was tar- targeted to parents. I said, if, if you're constantly telling your kids, don't do this, don't do that, don't say this, don't, you know, what happens is they just learn, okay, I don't do anything. So then when they get older, you say, why are you not doing anything? Why is my, why is my kid not doing anything? Because your whole entire life, you've conditioned them not to do anything, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So why are you now surprised, you know? And this and this is the thing, like, um, you know, be, be quiet and just sit down. Fine, I'll sit down. And then, okay, but later on, is that, going to, is that, is that quality going to, um, you know, be useful for me in my later life? It's not, because when, I, when you get older, you'll be the person that, you just won't give your opinion because you've been conditioned like that. Mm. So I think you have to really think of everything that you're doing to your children, what's the long-term um, effects of that. So I think um, that the idea of the idea of seven years of play, seven years of teaching, and then seven years of um, befriending, I think is the model that we kind of we kind of need to um, work from. Exactly. I think just on that point, just on that point, if you don't mind, just adding on to that, really, in terms of. The, the, I think it's important as much as we encourage the young people to work on themselves I think likewise parents mm-hmm. need to remember to continue to work upon themselves mm, absolutely. Now, if, there's a, if there's a father or a mother who's really struggling with let's say issues around anger you know they need to work upon that because many times parents bring their children to people like myself and say he's got a problem with anger and we don't know where it's come from and when you begin to ask the child where is this coming from they'll point their fingers directly at the parents and say them so my dad's like that my mom's got that kind of very hot kind of attitude likewise when it comes to solving problems you know what i mean many times parents are not not good problem solvers you know like they're very impulsive in their decision making mm-hmm. when it comes to finances when it comes to relationships so i think it's got to be twofold as much as brother and my mother said before as well as parents we're learning 
we've got to continue to learn to develop ourselves to then in so many shall inculcate them skills and qualities and the behaviors into our children so just thank you so much to all our guests and to all you as the listeners and until the next episode assalamu alaikum assalamu